Thank you for joining us here at Celebration Church, where we celebrate God, celebrate people, and celebrate life. We hope you enjoy today's message. Let me talk about cancel culture for a second. I want to read a scripture. I want to pray. I want to get into this thing. Does that sound okay? <laughs> if you're new or visiting, my name's Joel. I'm the Joel here at Celebration Church. It's good to see you. We love new people. Please stick around after the service. Get some coffee. We're about to speed it up, baby. Pastor Nat helped us to slow down and relax. Have you ever used an energy drink, try to froth an energy drink for your coffee? That's about the energy level that I have right now. And I have energy drink instead of milk and caffeine. So I'm ready to party. I'm ready to do this thing. Cancel culture um, in our society, if you don't know what cancel culture is, it's simply, it's like a call out culture. It is the 2021 version of an angry mob. What it is, is when someone succeeds or someone is in the forefront or someone is the leader at the front of the crowd and they seem to be succeeding, there's either two things that we do. One, we wait on every word or action that they do and we wait for something they do bad and then we cancel them. We ostracize them, we throw them out of the group either socially or professionally or even better, we go back into anything they have ever said or done or thought or visited or mentioned or fallen over and we bring it back into the present day and we cancel them and we throw them out socially we throw them out professionally. We try and destroy them. It is the, it is is just an angry mob. It is angry mob culture. It is someone made a mistake and I have never made a mistake, so I'm going to attack them and destroy them. It's a culture that suggests that our role models will be faultless, that our role models will not make horrendous mistakes, that those that lead us deserve to be on a pedestal in the moment that they do something that we don't deem to be correct as the crowd, as the mob, we will destroy them. It's a culture that esteems and then destroys. It is lifts up and then throws away when the use is no longer serving the common good or the crowd. And the thing about crowds is crowds are safe. It's very safe to be in a crowd. It's the easiest to speed in your car when the three cars in front of you are speeding. But me, I'm a pioneer, so I will speed when I'm by myself. And I will lose my license for two years, and it'll be a fun journey for me, and my wife will refuse to have kids until I get my license, because she ain't driving herself to the hospital. Um, forgive you, Alex. But crowds are safe. Crowds are common. Crowds oversimplify things. Crowds are judgmental. Crowds make decisions to kill Jesus but keep Barabbas. Like, crowds don't make the best decisions because it's safe in there you don't have to pioneer you don't have to think you and also crowds are tricked easily because <laughs> when we all agree on something how could we possibly be wrong <laughs> when we all believe that the next generation is going to have bad mental health or that teenagers can't control their hormones how could we possibly be wrong we could be wrong because we're wrong <laughs> that the next generation of young people are going to change the world <laughs> The best type of person is a young person. No offense to you if you're not a young person, but you can be in the rest of the group of that aren't the young people, us, and we can be second. The future is amazing that the kids that are being raised up in our kids' church right now are going to do far greater things than you could ever imagine or dream. And just because when you see a, a, a pack of five teenagers in a shopping center, you you tighten up and hold your purse, or just because the crowd agrees on certain things that doesn't make the crowd right. 
We're going to look at a story in Numbers as Nat stays up, and then we'll pray on a story that I've shared four times this year um, with, with different groups of people. Uh, but I want to share it with us as a church family as we look at the 12 spies. I'm going to pick up the story. I'm going to separate it into four parts. The scriptures are going to appear on the screen, just the, like, it's going to say like Numbers 13, verse 1 to 3 behind me, and then, but they're not going to appear. So if you haven't got a Bible, you're just going to have to listen. My apologies. I didn't make slides for you. <laughs> I'm going to have fun this morning. You watch. Four different parts. We pick up the story here where we'll get into it. I'm going to show you a map in a little while. And then, whoa. When a preacher gets into Bible maps. Can I have that Bible for a second? No maps. It's useless. Throw it out. Um, okay. I didn't help my analogy. Thanks for nothing. Mark, why don't you give Mark one clap? Amazing. That was concerning, isn't it? Whenever Ben, Ben does that to our youth ministry. Whenever he does that, I think he is, they're very well trained, aren't they? They're very well trained. They do their little clap, they move on. Because it used to be like there was applause and encouragement, not Ben. Ben's like, let's get through this thing. He's no, no, he's not, let's slow down, let's wait. No, we got to move on. One clap for Ben. Hey, let's, when Ben does it, everyone does it. Like people appear, you hear like an, an echo and they're like, it's thunder. Someone clap, like, Someone just clap in Dubbo? They got no reason to clap. They live in Dubbo. Okay. Um, I'm sorry if you live in Dubbo. From the bottom of my heart, I'm so very, very sorry. I pray for you every morning for six or seven hours. Okay. I've got this story here where God is speaking to the leader of two to four million people. It says in Numbers 13, verse 1, it says, The Lord said to Moses, Send some men to explore the land of Canaan. Everyone say Canaan, which I am giving to the Israelites. <laughs> I just realized that when I ask people to repeat things, it's the equivalent of you asking them to do a single clap. It's just that same. That's amazing. For each ancestral tribe, everyone say ancestral. Make, make sure you pronounce that bad boy right or this story gets weird. Okay, from each ancestral tribe, send one of its leaders. So with the Lord's command, Moses sent out from the desert of Paran all of them who were the leaders of the Israelites. So first we've got this story where God is instructing Moses to find some guys, the leaders of these 12 tribes, and send them into a land that he has promised for his people to go out and spy and to explore. He doesn't give you any really instructions apart, apart from sending them out. And then we pick up in verse 17 to 20 what um, Moses then goes and says to these leaders. It says, When Moses sent them to explore Canaan, he said, Go up through the Negev and into the hill country. See what the land is like, whether there are people there, uh, whether people who live there are strong or weak, few or many. What kind of land do they live in? Is it good or is it bad? <laughs> is it Jervis Bay or is it Dubbo? It says it right there. What kind of towns do they live in? Are they unwalled or fortified? How is the soil? Is it fertile or is it poor? Maddie loves soil. If you want to know anything about soil and science, Maddie Moon has done much research about the toxicity of soil, how many harvests we have left. I, was, I drove to Canberra with Maddie and a few other people I can't remember, and Maddie and <laughs> them. Um, Maddie just taught us all about the soil. She was sitting in the office one day and she looked out and looked at a tree and thought, I wonder how, 
I wonder what we do with all the soil when we build houses. Like she went down this, and then she went down this Wikipedia rabbit hole, and she ended up on some conspiracy websites. So if you want to know things about soil, go talk to Maddie. Why do we need universities when we have Wikipedia? And everybody said, what this horrible, horrible thing to agree with. <laughs> I need my appendix out. Oh, I, I, I saw a thing on Wikipedia. Oh, you can do it then. No, I don't want that. Um, is it fertile or is it poor? Is there trees or not? Do your best to bring back some of the fruit of the land, for it was the season for the first ripe grapes. So God speaks to Moses, then Moses gets his leadership on and instructs these 12 spies, these 12 explorers, these 12 adventurers on some things that Moses would like to know. God didn't say, you need to know these things, but Moses is like, okay, we're sending them, we want to know this, 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 tell us about the land. And then we pick up in verse 21, it says, so they went up and explored the land from the desert, Went to Rahab towards um, Hamath. They went up through the Negev and came to Hebron. And then it lists three different groups of people that were descendants of Anak. It says, when they reached the valley of Eshkol, everyone say Eshkol, they cut off a branch bearing a single cluster of grapes. Two of them carried it on a pole between them along with some pomegranates and figs. Two of them, two of them carried it. Wonder which two. That place was called the Valley of Eshkol because the cluster of grapes as the Israelites cut off there. At the end of the 40-day journey, they returned from exploring the land. God speaks to Moses. Moses speaks to these leaders. These leaders go out as explorers and seize this thing. And then we pick up the story. It says, they came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community at Kadesh in the desert of Paran, which speaks of, we won't get into the Hebrew, we'll keep going. There they reported to them and to the whole assembly and showed them the fruit of the land. They gave Moses this account. We went into the land of which you sent us and it does flow with milk and honey. Sounds disgusting. Okay. If you're dairy intolerant, sounds horrible. Here is its fruit, but the people who live there are powerful. The cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites live in the Negev, the Hittites, Jebusites, Amorites in the hill country, and the Canaanites live near the sea and along the Jordan. We have this story where they go and explore and they come back and a majority of these spies give this horrible report. And then we pick up in verse 30, I believe. It says, Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, We should go up and take possession of the land. We can certainly do it. Ten spies speak of how nice the promised land is, flexing with their big grape situation, but overemphasize the difficulty, the danger, then the crowd soon begins to listen to these bad reports. And we have this beautiful moment here where Caleb just silences the people. We can go up and take possession of the land. We can certainly do it. Some translations say we can go do it now. 
Caleb legitimately wants to go and like we just did our 40 day journey. It's time for round two. Has anyone ever driven to Canberra twice in 24 hours? I have. It's weird. It's a weird situation. But we're back. We can surely do it. Let's go do it now. I just want to ask us a few questions that I'm going to answer by the end of the service today. But I want to ask these questions to you. Will you be the silencer or the silenced? When God is saying that there's a promised land in front of us, will you be the one that silences the crowd and brings perspective to what God could possibly do with His people? Or will you be a part of the group that is simply silenced? Will you look inside, outside, backwards, forwards, or will you make a decision to look upwards about what God could possibly do? The crowd was infamous for looking inside. These spies are looking at who they are. They even describe themselves as grasshoppers compared to the people in these lands. They looked outside and were overwhelmed by the bigness. They looked backwards constantly about Egypt and its pomegranates. And it's, they were like, we should go back and get enslaved again because they had really good pomegranates. Like the crowd is super smart. Who he loves pomegranate. Oh my gosh. Good for you. Would you be enslaved for it? Probably not. They're looking backwards about what it was like back then. At least we won't die. At least we'll have more than just manna. That, or even looking forward and be intimidated by the danger of what is in front of us? Or will we be people that look upwards and know that our God can surely do it? And that if we are on His side, we can surely do it too. Two more questions. Will you let the crowd shape the future? Will we allow common, regular and normal to be the shapers of what the future will be for the church, for His creation, for the next generations? for the normals of worship, for the normals of discipleship, for the normals of leadership, for the normals of parenting and families? Will we allow the crowds to shape that future? Caleb was one that uh, didn't do that. And the last question is, will you be Caleb or the crowd? Will you be the one that stands up and silences the bad reports? Will you be one that is eager to just fit? So the title of this morning's message before I pray is simply this, that the crowd is cancelled. The Caleb was someone that spoke and lived in a way that established a line of what God could do, a bar of what the measuring stick uh, of what we should be jumping over, that he cancelled the common. So I want to encourage us this morning to maybe stop being a part of the crowd that is cancelling the individuals and be a part of the individuals that live on a high level. <laughs> that normal and boring and mundane is cancelled for us, that lies and labels and that we are too weak, that we are not good enough, that the giants are too big, are going to be cancelled in our lives. That whether it be in our mind, our families, our neighbourhoods, our friends, our parenting, our relationships, that we're going to make a decision to cancel these bad reports and to live on a higher level. Let me pray for us this morning. Jesus, I thank you that you are here, that you're in the midst of your people, that none of us are here simply by chance, that you have something you want to do. You love us and you meet us where we are at this morning. It does not matter how our last 24 hours has been, seven days, seven months, year, you meet us where we're at this morning and you are eager to move us forward into promises. So I pray this morning, God, as we come around your word, as we make a decision to pause and honor you, that you encourage us to be Caleb's and not the crowd, that you encourage us to be people that look upwards to you, that believe for impossible things. I ask that you speak to every single person this morning. We are not here to hear 
me. We're here to encounter you. So have your way, Jesus. We focus our attention on you. You are the center. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. Thank you, Pastor Nat. You may be seated. Is anyone missing international travel? People put their hand up there that have never even been overseas. And you're like, yeah, I miss it. Don't it always seem to go that you don't know what you got till it's gone. Pave paradise to put up. Matt is called worship, okay? Take notes, worship team. That's what it looks like. In 2019, the most traveled place for Australians was New Zealand. Oh my gosh, we've got a New Zealander in the room, one, two, three, four, five, and that's great. Um, That's shocking to me, 1.5 million short-term trips in 2019, Australians went to New Zealand. What were we doing over there, making fun of them? Like, I don't, we, it's happening, that's shocking to you making fun of their accents. We just go over there, little short little trip. Oh, you said that's funny. Oh, Australia's better. Then we head back. I think we're desperate to be more like New Zealand. There are more of us going over there than they're coming here. We only got one. <laughs> one of them's visited. Grace, that's it. The second most traveled place, and it should be no surprise to you, is Indonesia. Can I get a shout out for Bali? Yeah. <laughs> 1.4 million short-term trips to Bali in 2019. Most of them were tradies. It's not a fact. I just think it's funny. I don't know, something about tradies. Tradies love Bali. I just love Bali. And I've noticed the difference in 2020 and 2021 because we haven't been visiting Bali as much. I have not seen a fresh Bintang T-shirt in months. The average Aussie bloke is so tense because they haven't received $121.99 massages. And I have not seen a culturally appropriate white girl with a braid in so long. (laughs) I like that one. I was like, first, second, third, I'm going, I'm keeping that third. I thought, should I have been tang at the end? Nah, start big and bad. Um... And even tourism inside of our country, just in 2019, um, <laughs> just in 2019 alone, we had 9.4 million international visitors to our country. A quarter of everyone that was in Australia in 2019 wasn't from Australia. That'll affect our finance. The amount of money they brought in China alone brought in $12.4 billion in tourism in 2019 for us, which is what, double the federal budget? Oh, government. Oh, cool. I'm old now. Um, But we see this story, and if I can get that map on the screen, that'd be awesome, Gerard. Um, We see this story. This is the entire Bible journeys. One through to, what have we got? 17, ending in Ephesus. The journey of the biblical text on, we're guessing where Eden is because theologians are smarter than us, and heading through to the end with John or the end um, with Paul, probably we'll say John with Ephesus, finish off canons of Scripture, John and, and everything else. But what we have here is if we look at numbers, I'm going to say six, is six? Yeah, yeah. So we've got one where we've got, um, let me look at my map here so I don't have to turn around. Does that make sense? Um, one to two, we've got this journey, kind of Eden, we've got Noah, and then two to three, we kind of got um, Babel, 
um, or, or the Tower of Babel, if you're like Australian and just want to make everything kind of make sense. Um, and then four, we've kind of got Noah's sons. Five, we've got um, Abraham um, going up to Haran and then kind of back down again in his family and situations. And, and six, we've got uh, Joseph being sold into slavery and heading down um, to Egypt. And then soon his brothers and his father coming. And then that results into slavery. Uh, and then we pick up the story here uh, in Numbers 13 where... Um, God's people have been led out of Egypt. There's roughly two to four million. There's 660-ish thousand in the Israelite army. To be in the Israelite army, you just needed to be over 20 and a man. So there was about 603,550, got it, um, men listed in numbers one on these were the army. So 600 in the army and then probably some other people. It wasn't just a whole group of <laughs> over 20 dudes. Um, you're the boys. Um, ill. Um, sorry, if that's you. Um, you're the girls. <laughs> oh, I could do more, but I won't. Um, and we pick up this story where they're, they're out of Egypt. We're seven here, and they're down into the desert. And then this story picks up where they're going back up to lands and visiting lands. And probably it's not actually where that dot is. It's probably a bit higher up this journey, up kind of on that five line, where they're going back to lands they've already been in. This is not an exploration of things that are not yet done. This is so it makes it even more shocking that the crowd or the spies think that it's impossible to do it just because about 300, 400 years have passed and now there's some big tall dudes in their area. If you ever want to fight a tall dude, they have weak knees. Just get him in the knees and you'll be fine. Or backs. It's because they've been stretched out too far. I, I mean, stretching Jeremiah and Ellie, I grab them by their legs and I just stretch them. I want them to be so long that people think, is that an eel or is that a human? Like, that's my, I want like this eel hybrid. They'll be able to swim. I'll have their arms and legs removed. That's weird things. Okay, let's keep going. Um, but they are going up and they're spying. If we can go to the next map as well, Jerry, where it kind of gives us this close in of um, this is the journey that these spies took for 40 days. Kind of um, on this other map, it's kind of like eight up to like up a bit on fire. They go on this journey to explore this land that they'd already kind of been in. Like the, there, were, there were moments of, you know, where Jacob had set an altar. Um, that was in um, Shem. Um, uh, there's... There's all these different things for Abram, for Jacob, that appeared on this journey of this land that they were going back into. So the really shocking thing is that this isn't unknown land. This isn't, we've never been there before. This is clearly possible. Like God did it before, he can do it again. Like it's not like, oh no, what's going to happen? Oh my gosh, I'm so scared. The crowd is forgetting or maybe wasn't told because of the generations that happened in Egypt. They are forgetting that this land is already promised. Why? And this morning I want to bring us around three crowds that need to be silenced in our lives. Because God wants to give certain things back to us. He wants to take them to a whole new level that was ever was taken away. But it wasn't impossible, this situation, no matter how loud the crowd or the bad reports got. And the reason why it's time to cancel the crowd is that when the crowd is, is twisted and lied to and deceived and taught um, 
and civilized. I think the crowd can often be too civilized. We'll get to that at the very end of the message, how I think as a church we should get a little bit uncivilized. We should be a little bit more unpredictable. The crowd thinks they might not be strong enough, or that the giants might be too hard or it might be too dangerous. They think if they chant, it becomes truth. If they parrot back what they've been told or what they think. If we allow that, and we don't let the Caleb stand up in silence, all of us sometimes, sometimes we all have doubt, we all have wrong lies, beliefs, we find ourselves on the wrong side of things, and we need to allow the Caleb's to stand up and to silence us and remind us of what God wants to do. So there's three crowds that I want to focus on this morning, and in these three different areas, the things that crowds say to you, the things that crowds say about all of us, and the things that crowds say about the promised land. Because crowds have opinions about everything. So we're going we're gonna to have a little bit of fun this morning. The first one is this. Things that crowds say about you is the, the you're too young crowd. If we look through the biblical text, there is often these moments where the youngest is used by God. I dare say that is no longer, um, that it is not irrelevant to today. That the youth and that the kids and that out of the mouth of little ones, God will do miraculous, amazing things. No doubt. Uh, I don't have any doubt that Jeremiah in the next year has more to add to the world than me. (laughs) But familiarity, um, trying to turn someone into something, trying to make them civilized, fit inside the box, draw inside the lines, can result in this culture that you are too young to be used by God. I want to look at uh, these two scriptures. 1 Timothy 4 verse 11, very common scripture. It's like the most common scripture in youth ministry. We love it. We can't get enough. It says, command and teach these things. Do not let anyone look down on you because you are young, but set an example for believers in speech, conduct, love, faith, and impurity. Until I come, devote yourselves to the public reading of Scripture, to preaching and teaching. Do not neglect your gift, which was given to you through prophecy when the body of elders laid their hands on you. This is for our young people in the room. If you consider yourself young, receive this word as well. I've always found this fascinating, even in how Paul is writing this to Timothy. Don't let anyone look down on you because you are young. Can I just tell you, young person, someone can't look down on you because you're young, because you're not underneath them. Don't buy into the lie because you have not got that experience or that testimony that God cannot use you. God is infamous. He is famous for using the young. He is famous for using the smallest person in the smallest family, in the smallest tribe, in the smallest situation. He is famous for using the things that the world throws out to do things. So don't let anyone look down on you because you can't be looked on down. You can't be looked down on because you're not underneath them. Let your life speak. Let the example of how you live be enough that you don't need to fight, that you silence the crowd because of when they look at your life, it is something different and unique. Caleb and Joshua, um, one of their names, pretty sure it was Caleb, his name means wholeheartedly following God. The reason why um, God opposes after Numbers 13, 14, and then over into 32, opposes his people is because 
Caleb's name of someone that was wholeheartedly following God was actually the opposite of what this crowd was living. They were not wholeheartedly following God. That was the issue. But Caleb here stands up as a young guy in this group. Yes, he is from a cool tribe, tribe of Judah, best tribe. Shout out to tribe Judah, uh, Judah Smith. Um, But it is important for us to uh, remember and note that when the crowd says you are too young, the crowd is wrong. In Jeremiah 1 verse 7 to 8, never preach from Jeremiah, never will ever again. It says, the Lord (laughs) replied, my son's name is Jeremiah. I don't have anything against the book of Jeremiah. I just don't want people to think I named him after the book. He was not named after the book of Jeremiah. He was named after a character in To Kill a Mockingbird, Jem. And I think think his name is Jeremy in the book or Jerome. And our son is way too white for that name. So we, we locked in Jeremiah, which is like his parents were in a, I don't know, family band playing flutes or something. Young Jeremiah, or we Amish, or I don't know. Um, okay, verse 7 says, uh, The Lord replied, Don't say I am too young, for you must go wherever I send you and say whatever I tell you. And don't be afraid of the people, for I will be with you and I will protect you. I, the Lord, have spoken. Your age, your experience, your testimony are not the answer. Jesus is the answer. Therefore, your age, your experience, your testimony cannot be qualifiers or disqualifiers for what God wants to do. I love sitting with our young people, standing with our young people on Friday night. I was standing, they were sitting, and reminding them that it doesn't matter if you're 12 or 13 or 14 or 15 or 16 or 17, God isn't going to use you in the future. He's going to use you now. The next generation isn't our future. The next generation is called to act now. Uh, I remember when I was 14, 15, and Pastor Nat helped me become a Connect leader, and I had Jeff. It was good to be at Jen and Jocko's party. I got to meet Jeff. Jeff was my first Connect boy. Jeff was roughly 22 when I was 14. Don't know why he was in youth, um, but that's cool. Um, At 14, sure, I can lead someone to Jesus. Why? Because I had my life together? No. Because I could speak into Jeff's relationships? No. I could speak into his career as he was working I think at the fudge factory. Yeah, I can remember my boys. I'm good. No, but because God can surely do it. Because it's not about I'm too young. So I love this, this reminder from God towards Jeremiah. I'm, don't say I'm, not, I'm too young. When we place ourselves at the center, instantly we stop following Jesus. As soon as we become too young, young person, as soon as we become unqualified or our testimony isn't big enough, We stop following God. I think as Christians, maybe we should just be reminded this morning that He is supposed to be the center. That He is. I'll refuse to be silenced when I'm told that I'm not enough. God uses small, weak, foolish, and He uses young, hashtag the 12 disciples. The oldest one being Peter, who was 21. He uses the young to move forward. So please, next generation, do not hold back. Do not wait. Do not feel like you need to hold back so that the generation before you can do something. And current generation, don't feel like you've got to hold back so the next generation can come through. Let's all run into the promise together. (laughs) So we return to our first question. Will you be the silencer or the silenced? When you're told by the crowd that you're too young, too this, too old, too that, when the majority says that you are unqualified, 
Will you choose to sit back and be like, oh yeah, we can't take that land, it's too fortified, we are grasshoppers, or will you be the silencer? I refuse to step into the crowd and be silenced against the truth of God. The second thing is this, uh, the we're too weak crowd. When the crowd looks at themselves and looks at each other and groups us all in with equality and says, we're all to this, the future is horrible. 2 Corinthians 12 verse 9 gives us an image where Paul is reminding us how we should perceive and understand our weakness. It says, but he said to me, God speaking, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in your weakness. And then Paul's response is, therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness, so that Christ, so it's not I will boast in my weakness so that I get attention, It's not so that narrow mentality, I'll talk about how bad my life is, so I get sympathy. And we compete about who's who's had a worst Christmas, who had a worst 2020, like who's who's struggling the most. That's not the boast of weakness here. It's, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That I cannot do it, but God can. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, and in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. As soon as I make a decision to stop competing and be like, oh, no, I'm big, I'm tough, I'm proud. The perspective of Caleb here is not that he is the best fighter, because he wasn't. His perspective is we can surely do it, because do you remember who's the leader of our tribe? Do you remember that we were just brought out through the Red Sea? Do you remember the Ten Commandments that just happened and how God instructed us? Do you remember how he forgave us when we made that weird golden calf and started worshiping it because our leader was away for a couple of weeks? So we're like, I got an idea. Let's make a golden calf and worship that. That's a really good idea. Do you remember, like Caleb had this perspective that it was never about his weakness. And we see it here with Paul, this perspective that, yes, I am weak. Yes, I am insulted. Yes, I am this, but it's not about me. It's about His power resting on me. And if I can accept those things, if I can move past, oh yeah, I fail sometimes. Cool, great, fantastic, we all do. Yeah, I have hardships and insults and persecutions and difficulties, everything listed in this scripture. But I'm strong because I lean on Him. I'm strong because I I lean into Him and trust Him with all my heart. When we're at the center of our faith, our weakness becomes the most important thing. Our weakness, our wellness, our survival becomes the center point of our faith. But when Christ is at the center of our faith, our weakness is no longer an excuse. Our weakness is no longer our portion. (laughs) Our measuring our cup against someone else's cup is no longer the main situation anymore. The main situation is Christ and everything that He is and everything that He will do. The crowd may scream that you are weak and that we cannot do it. But God looks at His people. And probably looks in this story at these people and be like, I, have, I, have, I already did it. Like, go back to the map, bro. Like, like, see that I already gave it to your forefathers. See that a situation happened in a famine and you went into that, but I can surely do it again. When the crowd is screaming, we can't do it. God's like, I can, I have, I will again. The question is, will you be a part of the people that comes into the promise or will it be for your children or your children's children? Will you be a part of the crowd that is silenced or will you be a part of the Caleb, the wholehearted after God one that makes a way because this story breaks down 
to the promised land is only entered by the people that weren't in the Israelite army. We'll get to a second uh, um, who I actually think was in this crowd of people hearing this report, because I don't think there was four million people there. And because of God's response in, in Numbers 14 and Numbers 32, it shows us that probably the army was gathered together, the ones that should know that they can surely do it, the ones that are qualified, the 603, 550,000 people, 603,550 people, that they're gathered, that they should know that they can do it, but still look at themselves weak, unable to do it, missing the mark. He did it before, he can do it again. He's done it for someone else, he can do it in you. We can be a part of the wholehearted following God ones. 1 Corinthians 1 verse 25 and 29 says this, For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom. Let that sink in there, that the foolishness of God. And the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of the world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are and that no one may boast before him. Caleb is not boastful in this situation. He is just bringing everyone's attention to that God can surely do it. We can surely do it. God is interested in having good weapons, good ambassadors, good people that will stand in the gap, but he is not looking by man's measurement. He uses David, a small boy. He chooses him to fight Goliath. He uses Moses after Moses can't speak anymore because he was involved in murder she wrote and ended up outside of Egypt for a while and lost his ability. He uses Peter who denied him and then led a lot of people to him, even when Peter used the book of Joel out of context. As he said, it was the last days 2,000 years ago. (laughs) He even used a donkey in the Bible. God is interested in using weak things. So when the crowd says that we are too weak to do it, just be like, yeah, I know. But our God isn't too weak. His weakness is greater than the greatest strength of the earth. Can we be reminded this morning of a simple truth? Can we return to this question, the second question that we we asked today? Will we look inside, outside, backwards, forwards, or will we look upwards? Will we say, will we say, will we say, will we say, will we say is a beautiful name. Greens, I think you should name your daughter Will Wishay. Can I get one clap for Will Wishay? God is interested in using the weak thing. So if you're weak, let's not look inside, outside, backwards, forwards. Let's just look upwards and be like, God can surely do this. Greater is he in me than greater in the world. And the last question, our last point this morning is this, the it's too dangerous crowd. The it's too dangerous crowd. We see it here in numbers and we see it again and again and again in the church. We want to stay safe, we want to stay civilized, we want to stay to our run sheet, we want to make sure we don't go over time. We want a very um, palatable faith. We don't want to be confronted too much, so, you know, 
We make sure that Joel is controlled a little bit. <laughs> we position ourselves away from mentorship so no one speaks into our world and causes us to change. We, we like certain types of preachers, certain types of worship. We, we become very civilized. We, we like our certain seat. We like our certain coffee a certain way. I'm loving my um, ice cappuccino this morning. It was a cappuccino, now it's ice because it's, it's cold and old. Um, and we become accustomed to safety and comfort and we forget that we were actually built for danger. I want to read these uh, two scriptures. 1 John 4 verse 4 to 6. It says, You dear children are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. They are from the world and therefore speak from the viewpoint of the world. And the world listens to them. We are from God and whoever knows God listens to us. But whoever is not from God does not listen to us. This is how we recognize the spirit of truth and the spirit of falsehood. There is something about the New Testament writers that is so absolute that they would be cancelled in 2021. We know who is false or truth based off this simple thing, if they listen to us or not. How good is that? We should get every preacher to get up here and be like, we know if you're a liar and if you're wrong on one simple measuring stick, if you agree with everything I'm about to say. Like that would be, that's crap. Oh no, they can't possibly do that. And then we look for those little things and then what happens there? There is an absoluteness here that we see in 1 John that is a good reminder that what happens when we um, walk with God is we realize that there is something in us that is greater than us and greater than the crowd and that that thing is powerful and we should listen to the Holy Spirit's voice. We should let Jesus lead us and he should be the center point of what we do. Therefore, nothing is dangerous. Dangerous. Another good name, China. Dangerous. That's a nice name for a little child. Dangerous. Dang for short. Beautiful. Little dang tailor. Little beautiful little dang tailor. Dangle, dangle, dangle. <laughs> at the risk of repeating myself, when Jesus is at the center, the possibilities are endless. When Jesus is at the center, his ways, his thoughts become center point and become of great value. It is no longer a competition with the crowd. It is over the crowd. It is, I'm not living to please you. I feel the Holy Spirit prompting me something and I choose to be more obedient to Him than obedient to the noise. I choose to care more about Him than about your opinion of me. I choose to be someone that is willing to go into danger and to take a risk because God has already prepared an amazing promise for us. When he is the center, you know deep down the greater is he in me than is in the world. So in my workplace, neighborhood, family, dreams, relationships, teams, life, you have this boldness that doesn't need to rah, 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 but has moments where you just silence every lie that's spoken to you everything that's trying to keep you comfortable and safe everything that's trying to actually keep you out of the promises of god you have this confidence that he in you is greater in proverbs 22 verse 13 is an amazing proverb 
It says, the lazy person claims there is a lion out there and if I go outside, I might be killed. That is so often the church. We've got to do this. We've got to go through this. Has our pastor navigated, you know, a pandemic well enough? Is this happening? You know, who's doing the gardening? What's happening? Do I like my supervisor or my team leader? I've created a culture that is so civilized and comfortable. And when we go out there, when you have friends from a university or a school or neighborhood that aren't in church, or you talk to this person or do that, we've created this kind of laziness that it is really scary out there. It's really wild. And we have to keep things sheltered. I am terrified about sending my son to a sheltered school. He's got to get to it. Some, I've got to get him somewhere at some point. He's got to join a gang or something just to see a little bit of what his dad grew up in. Um. <laughs> but it's this lie that it is, there's lions out there. Do you know there's descendants of Anak there? They're Nephilim. They were crossbreeds between humans and demons. That was the belief system. The, the Goliath was an Anak, Nephilims. All the, there's all these ideas that, oh, it's so scary. We can't do it. We're coming up to Vision Sunday, and no doubt Pastor Brian and Charlie have things placed on their heart, just like Moses did by God, to say, we're going to go there, we're going to do this thing, we're going to take that. The question is, are we like, but there's lions out there, and there's not. It's dangerous, but it's not. It's impossible. I can't do it. I am weak. It is too scary. It's too fortified, but it's not true. Just because 10 said it and just because the crowd loved it and lapped it up because they got to stay where they wanted to be. The actual place that they described in was, was a sanctuary in the desert. It wasn't just the desert, they were the wilderness area, and they were in a sanctuary. There was provision happening. There was safety in what they were doing. Or are we going to be the type of people that even if it's dangerous, we were made to fight? Yeah. <laughs> so we're going to finish today. Um, if Natty, if you can jump up, that'd be awesome. Um, about how much the crowd loves comfort. We have a very civilized faith, I've found. I've found that because I am not terribly civilized. I'm clean. Look at me. I bought a shirt today, yesterday, because I was like, I should wear a clean shirt to church. I feel like people will love that. They'll come to me afterwards and be like, is that a clean shirt? I'd be like, guess what? It is. And they'd be like, wow, God is good, isn't he? I'm like, yeah, he really is. And then we will both praise Jesus. I don't know what's happening. Um, so my brain broke. My brain broke and I became really Christian. Um, you guys love that kind of stuff. It's weird. Okay, um, the word civilized means cultured, polite, structured, or socially advanced. Our religion takes civilized to a whole new level. Like we have like 10 statements of beliefs as a denomination. We have things we do and don't and this and that. And we actually have gathered more than the 613 commandments that the Old Testament has. We have other things. Like our host team is wearing all black. Why? Because they are mourning the fact that you're not serving. <laughs> hey! We've got more civilized. Like there's no coffee in the auditorium unless Pastor Brian and Charlie are away and you're on staff and you just do what you want. Yeah! No. Like don't do that. Don't say, oh, if a pastor says something, you better not question them. Oof. Oh, no, don't do that. We, we've, we've got a very civilized, nice, safe culture. 
And often when people are against that culture and it grains and it's difficult and there's a challenge, we, we line it up a bit, we danger it up a bit, we, we get more comfortable. Like, like, as long as a pastor doesn't tell me that if my workplace is, you know, going to hell and I have the answer, I'm living in sin. Because James tells us it's a sin to know what you ought to do and not do it. As long as that doesn't happen, I'm fine. As long as, you know, the offering message goes for, you know, three and a half minutes. If you push it to five, I'm going to have an issue. You talk about money too much. Well, that's not what we do as Christians because we're kind of mimicking our society and they don't like the idea of having to be generous, you know, having to give until it hurts, until you don't have enough and then you're weak and you need someone to provide for you. We don't like those kind of ideas. And we become very civilized and we have a certain way of doing things and we don't like to be pushed outside of our comfort zone. If we don't feel like we're ready to do something, we kind of don't want to do it. When really the biblical text is the opposite of that. It's, oh, we don't want to do it and there's a Caleb. Oh, it's too hard and there's, there's a Caleb. We all want to bow down and worship and there's a Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. There's just these counters. We want to have a certain civilized religion that does and believes certain things and then some guy called Jesus comes along and wrecks it because he hangs out and talks to a prostitute and a tax collector and he has dinner with people that weren't allowed to be in the civilized religion and we have these disruptors all throughout the bible but then we come to 2021 and we still like civilized we still like measured and comfortable because who wants to sit in an uncomfortable seat when there's a comfortable option who wants to be in an unair conditioned auditorium no one you guys come here because of the air conditioning It's clean, it's predictable, it's measured, it's normal, it's familiar, it's comfortable, and it doesn't require too much. Let me just read this. This type of faith is far from faith we see in the Bible. The faith we see in the Bible is uncivilized. A book that I read last year describes it as barbaric, barbarians. The one that does not belong to the civilization, that is uncultured, that is like John the Baptist, maybe. That there's a rawness, a boldness, that it grains against what is the civilized, agreed culture. It's, you know, I come to church and I, I serve and I give and I do that, but I don't want it to be too messy. I want it to be, you know. When the crowd or the civilized shape the future, it will only get smaller. It'll only be what can we say or what can't we say? What can we do or what can't we do? What can we manage or what can't we manage? Oh, I, that makes me feel uncomfortable, so I'll do a little bit less. Oh, okay, now my tolerance is a bit down again. I'll do a little bit less. Oh, I don't like dairy. I'll never have dairy again. And then suddenly you can't have all the things that you're supposed to have. You're supposed to have three to four kilos of cheese. Like your diet should have at least four kilos of cheese in it every single meal. You should be consuming roughly 12 kilos of cheese every single day. You're all lactose intolerant if we get to that level, aren't you? Hey, huh? You try and have 12 kilos of cheese. But what happens is our tolerance gets less and less for danger and adventure because we get more and more agreed that the crowd is right, that we will be civilized, and that will shape our future. But our future will get increasingly smaller. If we shape a future where young people can't lead their friends to Jesus, our future will get smaller and smaller. Because once you tell a 14-year-old that they can't fill a bus and bring them to youth and see their whole school saved, you tell a 15-year-old that, they have that in their head. And then 16, 17, 18, and we have a future that is filled with people that were told from a very young age that they're supposed to be a part of the crowd. They're supposed to do a certain thing. They color here. They do that. They measure this. And this is what we all agree on is what you need to know. 
And all we do is we establish a whole bunch of crowd, a whole bunch of employees, a whole bunch of team members. And that's nice. That's okay. But until Caleb stands up, until the barbaric people, the ones that are willing to believe that heaven is our normal, this isn't our normal. That heaven is our normal. My past isn't my normal. My current testimony isn't my normal. My current faith level, my current opposition, my current storm is not my level. My level is there. And when the Caleb stand up and shape the future, the future only gets bigger. The crowd will always decrease. The Caleb's will always increase. The one that stands up and says, this has gone on for too long. That is not okay. That is not normal. We're going to a higher way. We'll always make people bigger and their future better. And I think the Caleb's, I think the Caleb's aren't afraid of being cancelled because they were never voted in. (laughs) There was never a meeting and they all decided that they want to be the person that speaks up. There was just a boldness that came on the inside of them and just said, we can surely do it. Yeah, there's descendants. Yeah, it's really tough, but cool. There's going to be fortified cities we're about to have. They're big. They're spacious and there's good fruit. And yes, it was filled because of course, it's got to be, if it wasn't, imagine if they came back and were like, not fortified, real small. Um, No one wants to be there. Um, Let's go. And everyone be like, yeah. And they all got there and like, look how cool our party is. I was talking to some of our key leaders the other week about tribal wars and our youth ministry about games. And I was like, the reason why you've got to convince leaders and youth to be involved in tribal wars is because tribal wars isn't good. Like you never have to invite someone to a good party. If your party's got like your stepdad in the corner, like drinking punch, and he's like, hey kids, come in. It's going to be really great. Let's dance. Oh, we're halfway there. The party isn't going to be that great. Like, oh, come in. And your dad said, oh, hey kids, let's do this. Who wants to whip a nene? I don't know. Um, come on, let's grind some shorties. Um, Because the party isn't good, no one comes. And what a Caleb does is a Caleb brings attention to the promised land is good. People have inhabited it because of how good it is. And they are the best. They are the biggest and it looks difficult. The mental health crisis in young people, the suicide rates, abuse, domestic violence, the stats are bad. But we are built for danger. We are built for helping people that are from darkness to be brought into light. We are built to see sick get healed. We're built for that. Like that's why Jesus came, to help us participate in restoration of people. He didn't come so we could be civilized. He didn't come so we could maintain. He came so that we could be the dangerous ones. So coming back to that question, will you let the crowd shape the future? Will you let common? Will you let a labor? Will you let, we all agree that you're pretty weak that it's pretty dangerous. You don't get to shape the future because the future that you are projecting seems too small. And I don't want to go to that party. I don't want to live in that town. I don't want to do that thing. I want to bring a different reality to earth. So in conclusion, as we land the plane, those three simple crowds for us to silence this morning, that you're too young, that we're too weak, or it's too dangerous. And leading to that very last question that I asked this morning is, will you be Caleb or will you be the crowd? What situations right now do you need to get your Caleb on?
You need to step up. Caleb didn't even wait for Joshua, the other good guy in the story. He just went. Will you speak up to the crowd, whether the crowd is in your mind, in your family, in your workplace, in your team, in your world, in a neighborhood, in society, wherever it is, internally or externally, will you silence the lies? Too young, too weak, too dangerous. It's time to shut your mouth, crowd. Those thoughts that just are barreling on you and there's just that glimmer of truth of what God says, I choose that and I choose to cancel everything else. Will you just make a choice in your life that the crowd is cancelled? Just It's just cancelled. Every time that something comes against me, I'm going to be like, no, what is God saying for me to do? How can I make it bigger? How can I go further? I'm just going to ask you to close your eyes as our band um, comes up to the stage as we conclude this morning. I just want to give you two opportunities to do things this morning. The first thing I want to do is I want to give people an opportunity to respond to God, to maybe get your hearts right with God. I believe it's the most important thing. I think who you marry is pretty important. I think uh, where you live is cool, what jobs you have. That's good stuff. It's important to know when you've had enough kids and you don't need any more kids. I think you need to know that mark, and that mark needs to be two. If you've got more than two kids, God will forgive you, but if you don't yet, don't have more. If you're in this place, the first group of people just feel like you need to get your life right with God. You're hearing this message and you're like, yeah, I'm, I'm doing this from the outside. I want to give my life to God. And let me be very clear, I'm not implying that God is interested in anything less than your whole heart. Caleb is praised in this story and throughout Numbers and throughout history as someone that was wholeheartedly after God. And that is what Jesus made a way for us. He's not interested in saving 10 or 20% of us He's not interested in partial parts of our heart. He's interested in the whole thing. And if that's you this morning, in a second, I'm going to give you a chance to respond. And the second thing we're going to do this morning, we're just going to finish with some worship. We're going to go back to that. I just burped into the microphone and it was really intense. And it really hurt my chest for some reason. Like I think I was trying to hold it internally, but the Caleb in me wanted to let it out. So I let it out. I have a headache now somehow, like something occurred. I'll ask Maddie afterwards. She knows things about soil. I'm sure she knows about burps. We're going to sing a song, and I want us to maybe focus on some crowds in our hearts. And even when it looks like we're a Caleb surrounded by these 10 spies reports, surrounded by the crowd that is eager to hear about how bad everything is, that we would know that we are surrounded by something that is much greater and much higher, much more powerful, and the Spirit in us is greater than the Spirit in the world, that we are not too weak, that it is not too dangerous, that we're not too young, that God can surely do impossible things. And this morning you get a chance to sing over the crowd to silence them, to remind the crowd of how you fight your battles, and as to lift up the name of Jesus and to exalt Him. It's not to compete with the crowd, it's to speak over them. So with every single eye closed, that first group of people, if you this morning just feel like you need to get right with Jesus, whether it's for the first time or you just feel like you need to recommit, if that's you, I just want you to lift your hand right where you are so I can pray with you. Awesome. Just keep them up. Is there anyone else today that just needs to make that decision between them and God and me? I'm going to help. I'm going to pray. Awesome. Those two people can put their hands down. Is there anyone else that just needs to get right with God? 
Don't let the moment pass you by. Don't be a spectator. Don't live through someone else's faith. He died for you. I'm just going to pray this prayer over you this morning, those people that made that decision. You don't need to repeat after me. I just want to pray this over you. God, I thank you that you are a saviour and that you are a very good saviour. You lift us up out of situations and our sin and our brokenness. And we make a decision this morning to turn back to you, to allow you to be our saviour. And also, God, we respond to you and make you our Lord, the one that's in control, the one that gets to determine our plan, our path, our adventure. We hand over permission to you and we ask that you lead us. We know that you know the future better than we can, that your calls and your decisions and your path are superior to ours. So we ask this morning that you be our Savior and our Lord and you help us to walk with you every single day, that we're a new creation, the old is gone, and we get to start an adventure with you. We repent and we turn back to you. That's you this morning. I encourage you after the service. Our new Christians team is going to pray with you. They're going to help you. But I'm just going to ask every single person just to stand with me this morning as we finish our service. Stay in that atmosphere of worship. We take a moment and I want you to think in your heart and your spirit and consider what are some crowds that's voices have got a little bit too loud could be from labels it could be from noise it could be from your own pride and your own fear it could be through a wrong perspective of the promised land and how difficult it is and probably it's because you haven't seen him the way that you need to see him because he makes mountains flat he makes oceans still this morning maybe we should look upwards to him allow all the other noise to be silenced. We hope you were encouraged by today's message. If you would like to know more about our church, please go to celebrationchurch.com.au.